Well, good morning again to you folks here in the uh, Modern Worship Service there in the Worship Center as you join us uh, together for the preaching of the Word of God. We are going through a Vision and Values series, and we have uh, this week and one more week to go, and uh, then we are done, and then we all gather together uh, in two weeks, Uh, not next week, but the following week. We all gather together. One service at 1030, observe the Lord's Supper. It's going to be a great, great day as a time of celebration, a time of um, a culmination of our vision and value series, and then really setting, setting us up for the summer. So we um, are anxious for that. It's going to be a great, great couple of weeks here at Taylor's. But before we get to the, the sermon, I, I shared with the first service, and, and I want to share with you just something on my heart and something that I believe needs to be addressed, and that is what has happened this past week. Uh, If you've watched the news, you have perhaps heard uh, about the White House and an order that has come down from the the president's administration to to all of the schools saying this, that um, you must begin to redefine gender and allow and make accommodations for transgendered students in public school bathrooms and in locker rooms. Now, this is a big, big deal. And uh, I wrestled with whether or not to share this uh, this morning, just prayed through it this weekend, and, and I think leadership is needed just to step in and speak to this just briefly at the beginning. And here is what I, I want to say to you, church, and hopefully this will be able to help you communicate to others as well and will help you think through this whole process. And God designed men, men and women differently, distinctly, um, and his design is good, he called it. It is very, very good. There's great dignity in the way that God designed us as men and as women, but we know when sin entered into the world, there in the Garden of Eden, everything was turned upside down, and what has become twisted in our society has been sexuality, and so we've seen in recent months how that Uh, In our courthouses, uh, there has been a redefinition of what it means uh, to be married. And now we see in um, our public schools and in using bathrooms and in locker rooms as kind of the front door to this, we now see a desire on the part of some to redefine what it means uh, to be men and what it means to be women. And this is awfully, awfully dangerous. This is a dangerous time for us. All right, it's dangerous for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's dangerous politically because what the White House has done is really made a power move here and has told the states and has told local schools, this is what you will do. Now, if they don't do it, this remains to be seen what's going to happen. If they don't do it, there's the threat that their funding will be taken away, federal funding that schools get. We don't know. This process is going to have to roll itself out. But from the get-go, this has been... Uh, This has been an act by our federal government to force local schools under their submission and under their will. That's dangerous, okay? Second of all, it's dangerous legally. Here's what the administration is banking this on, is that um, it is equal, the same thing, uh, to talk about people of different colors and of different races with those of a certain sexual ideology. And that's dangerous legally. It's dangerous constitutionally to go down that path. All right? 
Third, it's dangerous, and here's the most important piece, I think. And as a pastor, here's where I'm concerned. It's dangerous generationally. Because what's at stake here are the hearts and minds and bodies and souls of generations of children. That's what's at stake. And so what do we do? What do we do? Well, we don't panic. People of God don't panic because the king is on his throne. He's never left his throne. We don't panic. But we pray. We pray fervently and urgently, and we pray for the president. We pray for his heart. We pray for his administration. We pray that they would do a U-turn, that they would pull back from what they've done. We pray for local schools, and we pray for legislators, and we, we pray for the states all across the country. This thing has caused so much chaos now that it remains to be seen what's going to happen, but we pray. But then second of all, we participate. We don't pull back. We, we jump in. We engage with the legislature. We engage with our local schools. We, as followers of Jesus in a free country, have an incredible opportunity to participate in this process. And so, so we don't fall back from that. We engage in that process. But here's the third thing. We engage with a perspective that remembers that we are representatives of the grace of Jesus Christ. I don't like the term culture war because the term culture war kind of signifies that there's this battle and that we have to get the other side. Now, I understand there is a battle for ideas. There's a battle for philosophies. I understand that. But what can come across so often, especially in the church, is that we don't care for people who are not like us. And that is not what our gospel teaches us. Our gospel reminds us that every single one of us are people who have twisted God's design in our lives and in our hearts in some form or some fashion, and we are sinners. And we are not perfect, and we are not morally what we should be. Instead, we are redeemed sinners by the grace of God. And we want that grace to extend to all people, to our neighbors, to, to our children. In all spheres of life, we want the grace of God. And understanding that God's design for marriage and God's design for sexuality is perfect and good, we want that to be shared by all people. But it can only come as we pray. And as we have a perspective that we have been transformed by grace. And therefore, we reflect the grace of Jesus. And how we participate and how we speak is an incredible opportunity to show the world that we are people of conviction. That we are people that we love the word and we love God's design, but we also love people. We are people of compassion. And we will walk that line carefully and by God's grace and by God's wisdom we'll carry that through. I hope that helps you in the days ahead as we, as it remains to be seen, what is going to happen and as we just walk this road together in the United States of America in the days ahead, we pray, we participate with the perspective though that we are people of grace extending grace to others with great conviction 
great kindness. Let's pray about that right now, and then we'll move into our time in, in John chapter 13. Father, we pray this morning that you see your people as those who have been redeemed, not perfect, but you have sent us to engage the world, and how we engage is so important. So, Lord, I pray that you would walk with us and give us grace. And, Father, I pray for our president. I ask that you would move in his heart and in his administration, that they would see and understand, and they would think differently. And, Lord, I pray for our legislators. I pray for our governor. I pray for local school board officials. Father, there is much in front of them, and we pray for them. And we pray for the body of Christ to display the incredible courage to stand for what the Word of God says, to stand for how you have ordered what is incredibly good and beautiful, but to do so in a way where people see a difference because we've been changed by grace. So, Father, hear our prayer. We pray for our country, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. John chapter 13 this morning, if you'll go ahead and turn there. Here's this... um, incredible story that I want to just share with you. I want you to see Jesus uh, today in a way that highlights this value of generous giving. Now, when we think of generous giving, immediately what we think of is, oh, here's a value that the church has um, so that we can give more money. I understand that's how some of you might be thinking. Um, Here's a value where the church wants uh, more of our time or wants our gifts or wants our service or whatever it might be. And and here's the reality. We we do need all of those things. We we need resources. We we need your time. We need your gifts. We need all of those things. in In order for the body of Christ to move forward, we have to have those things. But here's what I want you to understand about this value of generous giving. It is first and foremost, not an amount, but it's a heart condition. So when I say generous giving, what I'm referring to is not necessarily how much you should tithe or how much you should give or where you should serve this fall or whether you should serve in Summer Spectacular. All of those things are very, very valid. But when I mention and talk about generous giving, what I'm talking about first and foremost is the condition of a heart that says because of what God has done and Jesus has done for me. Therefore, I will express that very same generosity to me to the body of Christ and to other people and to my neighbor and ultimately to him, to Christ. You see, generous giving is really a a heart set, a mindset that says because Christ has so generously given to me, therefore, I'm going to turn around and give whatever God gives and puts in my hands for the sake of the body of Christ. And it's this principle that we are indeed free people. Um, the example of Harriet Tubman that we mentioned in the, uh, the video is this great story of this, of this girl who, um, while on the eastern shore of Maryland, was a slave, and she was beaten, and she was whipped, and once she obtains her freedom, she runs up to Philadelphia, and she could have stayed up in Philadelphia and had a family and had a godly home and served in her church, and she could have served in the abolition movement 
from up there. She could have done those things, but she comes back down into the south, and time after time after time, she risks everything. She risks everything. She steps out in great faith in a unique way. Innovative faith, one of our values. She steps out in great faith in a unique way to come and to rescue those who are in bondage to those slaves, and she frees hundreds upon hundreds of slaves. And she is free, but instead of using that freedom for herself, she returns to do what? To show great grace and to usher others into great freedom. She uses her freedom for others. And here is what we see in this picture of Jesus from John chapter 13 this morning. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. I invite you to turn there. Let's read this passage. And uh, for those of you who have your digital device, please, John chapter 13 in both rooms. It'll be on the screen as well. And this is an incredible passage and an incredible picture which shows us generous giving as first and foremost a heart condition, a willing condition, a sacrificial mindset. And we see this in Jesus as we tie these values together. John chapter 13, read with me verses 1 through 7. Listen carefully. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And they were exactly right. Jesus was exactly right. They didn't fully understand what Jesus was doing, and here's why. Foot washing was a custom that you would find there in the first century, but you wouldn't find a guy like Jesus doing what he did. Foot washing was something that was a sign of hospitality, a sign of serving somebody. It was a, it was a mark of, of um, serving people, and, and it was hygienic as well. I mean, here they come into dinner, and if you were a guest, you would come in, and you would take off your, your sandals. You would have someone wash your feet, and then when you sit down, you don't sit down as you would at a table, like you'll eat lunch today, probably at a table. Instead, you'll recline, and you'll sit back on your elbows, and your feet will be extended out. So who in the world wants to smell and look at muddy, dirty feet while you're eating your food, right? And here it is where Jesus is uh, recognizing what is happening here, and he, no one has to this point, no one has washed anybody's feet. And it probably was something where they kind of shrugged their shoulders if they thought about it, and they said, okay, we understand why, because no one here really needs to do that. The, good, the, the Jewish people, many of the Jewish people thought that this was an act that was reserved not for Jews, but for 
Gentiles, and they didn't like the Gentiles. They thought they were, they were the equivalent of dogs. And so, therefore, many of the Jews, if they could, would go find a Gentile, and they would hire them, and they would be part of the household, and they would be a slave, in essence, and they would wash the feet of those who would come into the home. Oftentimes, the young people would do this, and young people weren't highly regarded like they are in our society today. And so when Jesus puts on this towel, what Jesus is identifying with is something that totally floors those disciples. He is acting like a Gentile or he is acting like a slave. That is why Peter looks at him and says, Jesus, do you wash my feet? What are you doing? And they didn't fully understand. Couple that with this thought that Jesus is about to leave this world. He is about to be crucified. And this brings out thought number one this morning when it comes to this value of generous giving, this matter of the heart. Thought number one, generous giving hinges on contentment with God's plan. All right, if you're taking notes, we'll leave it up there for you. Generous giving hinges on being content with God's plan. If you want to make a little note underneath that, here is the battle against what I prefer. All right? Contentment is the battle against what I prefer. Verse 1, look at it again. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew what? That his hour had come. Later on in the text, we see that Judas Iscariot, he knows that, that Judas is already taking action. He knows God's plan is unfolding. But here's the thing. Jesus knows this is a difficult plan. This is a hard thing he's about to go through. But yeah, he's content. He would prefer, though, is there another way? John chapter 12, verse 20. One, I'm sorry, verse 27, look at it. Now is my soul troubled. He's walking in the streets of Jerusalem and he's speaking here, he's preaching, he's teaching. And he says this, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, this is your plan. Is there a different way? Remember the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, in just a few hours, in just a few hours, is going to be kneeling. And here's his prayer. Father, if there is any way, let this cup I'm about to drink of your anger and your wrath against sin, let this cup I'm about to drink pass. Let it go. Father, I prefer a different way. But nevertheless, not my will, but your be done. And this is where generous giving begins. When Jesus is at dinner with those guys, he doesn't seek to short circuit the plan. There's not another way. He doesn't seek, seek to sabotage God's plan. He's going to walk through it, and he's going to be content regardless of how difficult it is. And this is the first step in us battling our preferences, what we want what we will give, what we desire, is to say, God, what is your design here? I'm content with that. Secondly, generous giving sets aside entitlement for the good of others. 
Look at verse, um, go down to verse 3. Read it with me again one more time. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Okay, so here's Jesus. Number one, thought, contentment, and that's battling against what I prefer. Here's the second thing. Generous giving sets aside entitlement for the good of others. Jesus is going to set aside entitlement for the good of others. And this is the battle. Underneath that, you can write this in. This is the battle that I face when it comes to my resources, my time, what I want to give. This is the battle against what I deserve. What we just read there, Jesus, he had all things given to him. Do you understand who this person is? This is the one who spoke the worlds into existence. This is the one who holds it all together. This is the one who has been given all authority over all things. And Jesus just says that, or John picks this up and he writes, and and I'm wondering if John, as he's writing this picture, he sees uh, a scene as he's writing, he sees, he remembers the scene of Jesus on his hands and on his knees and he's taken off his coat and he's put a slave uh, towel around him and he's down there and he's handling the smelly, stinky feet of these disciples and he's washing and the disciples are just looking at this man in amazement. He's not supposed to be doing this. But then John says, oh, by the way, the one who's on his hands and on his knees serving like the slaves should do, like, like the young people should do, Not like a rabbi. Jesus later on will say, I'm teacher, I'm Lord. He's on his hands and knees. And John says, oh, by the way, this is the one. All things have been given to him. This is the one whose home is heaven. He shouldn't be down on his hands and knees doing this. He doesn't deserve this. He's going back to heaven. And when it comes to our lives and our church, and our giving. Here's what we have to guard against. And I say this gently, but firmly. We deserve. We deserve. First of all, we prefer, but now we deserve. And I just want to point you to this picture of the one who spoke the worlds into existence, the one who who comes from heaven, the one whose home is heaven, the one who will come and reign and rule and judge, and he puts entitlement aside as a slave. That's the heart of generous giving. So when it comes to our, all the things that we can give, we, we need to remember Jesus and, and battle against what we deserve. But then thirdly, thirdly, generous giving displays a second-mile heart in a one-mile world. I love that phrase. I found it from someone as I was reading through some sermon notes of some guys who are preaching on giving and preaching on serving. Generous giving. Here's what generous giving does. It displays a second-mile heart in a one-mile world. Think about Jesus, okay? Just let your mind go with the text a little bit here, all right? Jesus could have said, as he gets on his hands and on his knees and he comes up to, to um, Judas and it's enough to wash his feet, but he's going to betray me. But, but, 
but, but I want to display a second mile heart to the guy that's going to betray me. Could have come up to Peter. Oh, yeah, this is the guy that's going to deny me in just a little bit. Um, so I, I'll, I could just wash his feet, but I, um, he doesn't deserve it. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a second mile heart towards this guy who's going to betray me. He could have come to every disciple, and he knows their sin. He knows their heart. He knows that around the cross they're going to run and they're going to flee from him. And then he could have said, you know what, Father, here's the deal. Isn't the cross enough? Isn't the cross enough? I mean, I'm giving my whole life. I fulfilled everything you've asked me to do. And now you, at the moment of great suffering, at the moment of great weight on my mind, and when I'm distracted, and when you mean to tell me you want me to display a second mile heart to these guys? This is what generous giving does inside of us. It moves us beyond what is required. You might want to write that down underneath, underneath that third point. Here's the battle when it comes to second mile, uh, a second-mile heart. The battle is against, well, well what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I get that question every now and then. Am I, uh, tell me about the tithe, Pastor. Am I supposed to give 10%? I understand what they're saying. They're really, some of them are really, really wrestling with that. But you know what? Um, whenever the New Testament talks about giving, it doesn't really give a, a legal 10% requirement. We bring that over from the Old Covenant. That's a, a wonderful standard to begin. But whenever the New Testament talks about giving, you know what Paul does? He's writing. He's giving out a, he's calling people to give sacrificially to a famine. And here's what he says. He doesn't say, this is what I require of you. He simply says, I want you to look at the cross. I want you to look at the one who gave everything for you. He was rich, became poor, so that you might have everything that you have spiritually. So when you look at him and all that he has done, how are you going to respond in light of that? We ask, what's required of me? And it's almost, it almost becomes a, a, a duty that we have to perform when we give or when we serve. And I understand that. Not everything that we do has great lightness and joy in it. I, I get that. But what, what, I'm, what I'm pointing you towards is the one who displayed a second mile heart in everything that he did. That second mile term comes from Matthew chapter 5. I love this paragraph in Jesus' sermon. It's on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. He's preaching here from the mountain to his followers, and he says this. Listen. Listen to, to asking, what, do, what is required of me? What do I have to do to get by, right? Here's how Jesus responds. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That's not a one-mile world. A one-mile world is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. A one-mile world is if someone treats me one way, I'm going to treat them the same way. That's a one-mile world. And if anyone would say to you, would sue you rather, and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. He wants one part of your garments. Guess what? And he's mistreating you. Here's a display of generosity. Here's a display of generous giving. Are you kidding me? I'm going to sue you back. I'm going to treat you as you have treated me. So therefore, give me my coat back and let's, let's go to court. Jesus says, no, just, 
Just give them. And, and you might be saying, how do we do this? This is so countercultural, and it is. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So here's what would happen. Here's what Jesus is thinking of. And everyone would get the picture immediately. If you're walking along there in that region and a Roman soldier came to you with all of his gear and he said, carry my gear, you had no other obligation that was more important than picking up the gear of that Roman soldier and walking with him. And they all knew that when Jesus says that. And so when Jesus says, um, here's, here's a heart of generous giving, and it's going to display the glory and the gospel of God, because it's so countercultural. So when the Roman soldier comes to you and says, uh, let's go pick up my gear, you pick up his gear, and when he gets to his destination, you look at the Roman soldier and go, you, are you done? Well, no, I'm, I'm heading up here. I'll, I'll go with you there. Can you imagine? And this is what it means with our finances and with our, with our time and with our gifts. It's not what we're obligated to or what we're required to do or to give. It is what, what will display the gospel, what will display the glory of God. So let's, talk, let's see how Jesus ends this. John chapter 13, let's read verses 12 through 17 together, and I think this is so good. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. But if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you you do them. Thought number four this morning is this. Generous giving ignites love throughout the body of Christ. Generous giving ignites love throughout the body of Christ. It is this spirit that says, not what I prefer, not what, not what I deserve, not what is required, and, and that's it. But this spirit that says, I love you, and I will serve you, and I will give to you, and I will give my preference, and I will give my resources, and I will give my time, and I will give my life for the body of Christ, for one another. This is, this is the only way it's going to work. Jesus says, I've given you this example. Now you go and do the same thing. I don't know if you've ever, ever been in a service or in a ceremony where you've had your feet washed. One of our, um, our deacon chairmen not long ago did it for me and for other men. And, and, and here's what, what happens when you have someone take off your shoes and they serve you in that way. Here's what it does. 
it humbles you. It moves you to think that someone would stoop to do that for you in public. And you seek to do it for others. That, that, that humility and that, that incredible act of love and giving and service, that innovative move, all these values coming together in this one picture, it moves people to multiply that love throughout the body. I, I, I told the first service, I was walking down the hallway uh, this morning on the way into the worship center. And I peek my head in and, and just wave or just say hello to people as I'm walking through. And this thought struck me. What if one day I'm walking through the hallways and you're walking through the hallways and we look inside and people aren't drinking coffee and people aren't, um, aren't teaching or they're you know, d- doing whatever it is that we do in our, our life groups or over in the apex with students. What if we went down the hallway one day and what if a guest comes walking in and we look and people are on their hands and knees and they're washing one another's feet? People might say, that's kind of weird. <laughs> but can you imagine the picture? The picture of great giving and love what, what, what if we came to your house and you husbands were down on your knees washing the feet of your wife and your children? What kind of an impact would that make on her, on your children? Here's my point. The church, the body of Christ, is not going to be unified unless there's this value incorporated and expressed in great love in different ways. Because Jesus said, now now guys, he's speaking to the community now. He, he's engaged the world already. Now he's going to zero in on his guys and, and he's going to go to the cross. He's going to He's going to rise from the dead for our sins so that we can be free. And, and, and then he's going to come back to that community for 40 days, and he's done. He, he's done engaging the world. He comes to them, and he says, here is your mission. It's our mission here at Taylor's. You, you are to engage the world. And the first way that they will see that you really are different and distinct is by the way that you love one another. You give to one another. You don't prefer or deserve or say this is what's required. You generously and lavishly give for others. What an incredibly powerful picture of love on behalf of Jesus who is pointing to the cross, which brings up our last point this morning, and this is this, that generous giving reflects the gospel. It reflects the gospel. When it comes to what we give and how you give. The question that I asked on the video, what does it say about you when I look at the things or when God looks at the things, I'm not going to look at, when God looks at the things that you give your life to? What does that, what does that reflect? Does it reflect a preference? Does it reflect uh, 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 I deserve this, or the church deserves this. The church, sh- sh- this is what you get. This is what 
this is what you're owed and this is what the family's owed. But instead of, ref of reflecting the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is so free and which is so full and which is just an abandonment of great love, what would that look like in your home? What would it look like here at Taylor's? It's a reflection of the gospel. And the gospel this morning for those who are here, and there are some in this room and in the other room, some of you, you hear that word, or maybe you've been around that word before, but here's the bottom line. Some of you have never, ever entered into a personal relationship with Jesus. And you see Jesus, see this picture of him washing the feet of his followers. And I want you to see a picture of him dying on the cross for your sin so that you could know him, so that that guilt that's in your heart, so that that shame that's in your heart, so that that sin and just that rebellion or that, or that waywardness or that thought, something is not right. Something in my heart and in my soul is just empty. Christ has died for you so that you may know him. And he might fill your heart with great grace and mercy so that you can extend that grace and mercy to others. So this morning as we pray, I invite all of us to see the incredible, generous heart of the one who washed your feet and who hung on the cross. And now he simply comes to you and the Holy Spirit comes to you says, what will you give? Where is your heart? What will you do for the kingdom, for the church, for your neighbors? Let's pray about that right now. Heavenly Father, we now bow before you in our hearts and we simply ask that you would speak to us. Would you move in hearts about the way that we give? Will you move in our hearts about the way that we feel entitled? Or, Father, will you move in our hearts about what we deserve or what the church might deserve. Father, will you move in us? And Father, I present your church. I present these people in both of these rooms. And in the first hour, I present the body of Christ at Taylor's to you. These are your people. And will you move in us to display the glory of the gospel? Lord, would you move in the hearts of those who do not know Christ and they're here this morning and maybe they're here for the first time as a guest and, or maybe they've been coming a couple of times and Lord, I simply ask that your Holy Spirit overwhelms and moves inside of them in such a way that they cannot mistake it for anything other than the God of the universe loving and drawing them to himself. So Lord, thank you for this picture of Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you washed our feet and you went to a cross. We give to you now. 
everything we have, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.